Blog Talk Radio. The Four Persons, Inc. is a federally registered and licensed 501c3 charity. Any use of any of our content without our permission is prohibited by law. Our purpose is evangelization, education, and social action. Please go to our website at thefourpersons.com or our blog site at thefourpersons.net to make your tax-deductible donation by credit or debit card. You can also send a check to The Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. To contact us, send us an email at email at thefourpersons.com. Welcome to the Catholic Ken Apologetics Show on the Four Persons Network. This is our weekly Friday morning show with Catholic apologist Ken Litchfield. To call into the show today, the number is 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. And now, let's welcome our host Ken Litchfield. Good morning, Four Persons Blog Talk Radio Show fans. This is the Catholic Ken Apologetic Show with me, your host, Ken Litchfield. We have a great show planned for you today. We will be discussing the Bible authors and the dates that the books were written. If you have any questions on this topic, feel free to call in at 515-602-9655 if you'd like a copy of today's show notes. Send me an email at catholicken at thefourpersons.com. I am also available to come speak at your parish on this or many other topics. You can contact me at kenlitchfield61 at gmail.com or look me up on Facebook. So let's get started. Some people think that God just kind of dropped the Bible out of, out of heaven for us to use. But the fact is, is that the books of the Bible were written by many different authors over a period of roughly 2,000 years. So we need to, well, 1,500 years, we'll call it that. Uh, So we need to understand that God inspired the authors of the different books of the Bible by sending them the Holy Spirit to write what he wanted us to know. Now that's not to say that everything is in the Bible. The authors of the different books of the Bible wrote what God wanted us to know. And throughout Jewish history and the first century of Christianity, God spoke to the early Christians and the Jews through his chosen people. Uh, Moses spoke for God to the Israelites, and they had prophets after that. And in the first century of Christianity, God spoke to the first Christians through his apostles that taught many of the things that Jesus taught, and a lot of them were not written down in their letters or the Gospels that a few of them wrote. The Torah, or the Pentateuch books, the first five books of the Old Testament, are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they were written by Moses around 1400 B.C. There are many people that understand that since so many of the events that Moses writes about took place well before his time, that there were oral people who passed on the earlier oral tradition to Moses who wrote them down since Moses had been trained to read and write in Egypt. After the first five books of Moses, we have the book of Joshua, and that was written by Joshua around 1350 BC. And 
Moses passed his authority on to Joshua. Joshua crossed over the Jordan River into the land of Cana. That's when the nation of Israel was established. The two kingdoms of Israel were united under King Saul around 1100 BC. In the books of Judith, I'm sorry, the books of Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, were written by Samuel, Nathan, and Gad around 1000 to 900 BC. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon were written by King Solomon around 900 BC. And after that, the two kingdoms of Israel split after Solomon dies. The book of Joel was written by the prophet Joel around 850 BC. The book of Amos was written by Amos around 750 BC. The book of Hosea was written by the prophet Hosea around 750 BC. The northern kingdom is of Israel is conquered by the Assyrians around 722 BC. And when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, they killed most of the men or sent them off to slavery and then intermarried with the women. And so the people that lived in the area north of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah later on are the Sumerians. And the reason the Jews don't have anything to do with the Sumerians is because even though they have some Jewish ideas up there, some Israelite ideas up there, bred with the Assyrians and didn't have the full understanding of what Moses really taught the Israelites. The book of Isaiah was written by the prophet Isaiah around 700 BC. And the book of Jonah was written by the prophet Jonah around 700 BC. And the book of Micah was written by the prophet Micah around 700 BC. The book of Nahum was written by the prophet Nahum around 650 BC. And the book of Zephaniah was written by the prophet Zephaniah around 650 BC. And the Books of First Kings and Second Kings were written by Jeremiah around 600 B.C. The book of Obadiah was written by Obadiah around 600 B.C. The book of Habakkuk was written by the prophet Habakkuk around 600 B.C. The books of Jeremiah and Lamentations were written by the prophet Jeremiah around 600 B.C. Around 586 B.C., the southern kingdom is conquered by the Babylonian Empire and sent into exile. And the Babylonians move into the land of Israel. This is the time that the first temple constructed under King Solomon was destroyed. The book of Ezekiel was written by the prophet Ezekiel around 550 B.C. The book of Daniel was written by the prophet Daniel around 550 B.C. The southern kingdom of Israel, which are the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, returned to the land of Israel around 538 B.C. So at this time, the, the two southern tribes of the nation of Israel move back to their land uh, because the Babylonians have a, a nice king that allows them to move back to their homeland. And they start rebuilding the temple then. The book of Haggai was written by the prophet Haggai around 250 B.C. And the book of Zechariah was written by the prophet Zechariah around 500 B.C. Books of 
First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah were written by the prophet Ezra around 450 BC. The book of Malachi was written by the prophet Malachi around 430 BC. In the book of Estra, Esther was written by the prophet Mordecai around 400 BC. The Psalms were written by King David and several other authors between 1000 and 400 BC. Most of them are from around 1000 BC, but there are some more that have been added since then. Now, the book of Job is an interesting book uh, because we don't know who the author is of the book of Job. It could be Job, Elihu, Moses, Solomon, Isaiah, Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Baruch, or Ezra, because they've all been considered as possibilities. The rabbinic traditions are inconsistent, but one Talmudic tradition suggests that Moses wrote the book. The land of Uz is adjacent to the land of Midian, where Moses lived for 40 years. And it is conceivable that Moses obtained a record of the dialogue left by Job or Elihu. So this book may have been written as early as 1400 BC or as late as 450 BC. If you are familiar with the movie, The Ten Commandments, you know that Moses was exiled from Egypt and crossed the desert and ended up in the land of Midian. And that's where he lived for 40 years and he got married and had a son before returning to the land of Egypt. And since Midian is right next door to the land of Uz, Moses could have learned about the story and wrote it down back then. But the important thing that we're supposed to learn from the book of Job, that if we remain faithful to God, despite the tribulations he may send us, we will persevere until the end and continue to be saved. Now, between 450 BC and the time of Christ, there were other books written, and they were copied and shared amongst the Jews at that time in what is we now call the Septuagint. Around 200 BC, a Greek translation of the Jewish scriptures called the Septuagint was completed. It contains the 66 books of the later Jewish Masoretic text, or the Protestant Old Testament, but it also contains the books of the Catholic and Orthodox Old Testament, including Tobit, Judith, Wisdom of Solomon, Wisdom of Jesus, Son of Sirach, Baruch, the Letter of Jeremiah, and additions, that is, longer versions of Daniel, and additions to Esther. So it's a longer version of Esther. And it also contains 1st Maccabees, 2nd Maccabees, 3rd Maccabees, and 4th Maccabees. The books of 3 and 4 Maccabees are part of the Orthodox Old Testament, but not the Catholic Old Testament. The Septuagint also contains writings that are not in the Catholic or Orthodox Old Testament, including 1st Esdras, Odes, Prayer of Manasseh, the Psalms of Solomon, and the Psalm 151. About 100 years before Christ, the Jews started translating the Hebrew scriptures into Aramaic during, to use during their worship services. Some of this was written down, and the collection came to be known as the Targum. The Pharisees in Jerusalem that taught and worshipped in the synagogues considered the five books of Moses, the writings of the prophets, the Psalms, and some of the historical writings as scriptures. Although the synagogues had the same cortex, they had different overall collections of writings. 
These collections of various writings were grouped into sets of 22 or 24 books. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees admitted the idea of or an oral tradition. Students learned the interpretation of scripture from their rabbi who learned it from his rabbi. And different rabbis had different interpretations of scripture back then, just like we do today. After the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Pharisees used their unopposed influence with the Jews outside the destroyed Jerusalem to create written versions of their oral traditions called the Babylonian Talmud and the Palestinian Talmud. So after Jerusalem was destroyed and there were no more temple priests or a temple, the Pharisees continued to run the synagogues to pass on the Jewish faith, just like they did during the time of exile. In 80 AD, the Pharisees in a city near Jerusalem called Jamnia met to discuss whether the Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes should be considered scripture. They decided they are scripture. Jamnia, also called Jebna and Janiel, was the site of a famous school and a seat of Jewish scholarship. The Sanhedrin relocated here after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and the city took its the place of Jerusalem as far as religious observations go. There's no reference to a specific council of Jamnia. However, its position as the heart of Palestinian Jewish scholarship from approximately 50 to 150 AD time period may be why it is credited for significant developments in Judaism at this period. At Jamnia, Rabbi Akiba ben Joseph and his people, Rabbi Aquila, were the creators of a rabbinical text which was designed to become the common property of all Jews. This was a Judaized version of the scriptures. They excluded writings with Christian and Hellenistic influences. Akiba is one of the greatest rabbis due to his systemization of halakal, that is the religious practices of the Jews, and the written codex of it. The Mishnah, which is the written version of the oral tradition that they had already been following, and the Midrash, which is commentary on the Mishnah. There's no evidence that he was ever in Jamnia, but obviously interacted with the scholars there. Akiba edited the forms of the Septuagint at the time, and his edited version of what we call the Old Testament can be called the basis for the latter Masoretic text. Around 100 AD, a Jewish historian named Josephus Flavius wrote in his book Against Appian that there are three groups of writings that total up to 22 books. This canon may be very close to the 24 books of the latter Masoretic text. Rabbi Akiba ben Joseph started standardizing the writings that the Jews would use in their synagogues between 100 and 130 AD. This collection is now known as the Tnach. He declared that the books of Sirach and all others written after that do not defile the hand, which means they are not sacred texts that could not be touched after they were written. A lot of people don't know that uh, the Jewish texts were only touched as they were being written, and once they were written, nobody was allowed to touch them. And if you did accidentally touch them, then you became ritually unpure and had to go through purification before you could worship at the temple or synagogue again. And the way the Jews would read the scrolls is that they were rolled up on uh, wooden pins and they had a single, a silver 
pointer that was kind of shaped like a hand with a finger pointing. And that's what they would use to point at the letters that were written down. Rabbi Akiba established a canon of 22 or 24 books, depending on how they were organized. The current Protestant Old Testament of 39 books is a reorganization of the 24 books. So the Jews that rejected Jesus settled their Old Testament about 100 years after Christianity had been started by Peter and the apostles. In 136 AD, after the Bar Kokhba, the Jews declared that the seven deuterocanonical books were not to be considered scripture because they were used by the Nazarenes. The Jews called the early Christians Nazarenes because they followed Jesus of Nazareth. By 140 AD, the Jews that had rejected Jesus and Christianity had settled on their list of 24 books as their scripture. These 24 books are roughly equal to the 39 books of the Protestant Old Testament. Most copies had vowel points to go with the consonant letters of the text. Different rabbis used different vowel points, so there were variations in the text. So we have to understand that at this time, the Hebrew texts were just the consonant letters, like to our, our modern American alphabet, they would not include the letters of A, E, I, O, and U. But the rabbis had little tick marks or vowel points that they would put between the letters and that would allow the students to know which vowel they're supposed to insert there. The Hebrew Masoretic text commonly used today was developed between 500 and 900 AD. The Hebrew scholars took the consonant-only Hebrew text and added vowels to make the whole words as we have them in modern books today. Jewish rabbis had different vowel points and accents on different words, so there was no standard Hebrew text. The Hebrew Masoretic text, was, which was established around 900 AD, provided a standard consonant and vowel Hebrew text like modern books that we have now. So this is how the Jews have a what we call Old Testament today. A lot of people don't know that the Jews used to just have the consonants and the students that would be reading those texts had to know which vowels to insert there. Protestants generally think that the Jews only had one collection of scriptures before Jesus, and that text was the Masoretic text. However, history shows us that the Masoretic text was developed by the Jews that rejected Jesus in response to the Jews and Greeks that became Christians. I don't know why Protestants accept the Old Testament canon of the Jews that rejected Jesus and not the Old Testament canon of the Jews that accepted Jesus, which is the Septuagint. The texts found in the Dead Sea Scrolls show us that even before the time of Christ, the Jews had variations in their scriptures. The Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, known as the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures is known as the Septuagint. The Dead Sea Scrolls show us that the books that are in the Septuagint were in use before the time of Jesus, since the Dead Sea Scroll community had copies of them before the time of Christ. The copies of the Dead Sea Scroll community are generally closer to the Septuagint translation than the later developed Masoretic text translation. 
The oldest copy we have of the Septuagint is from the 4th century. The oldest complete copy of the Masoretic text that we have is from the 9th century. The Septuagint gives us an ancient Greek translation of the ancient Hebrew text. So if you want to go to the oldest Old Testament versions, you go to the Septuagint. The Masoretic text is not the same as the Septuagint. Now, at the time of Jesus, the Sadducees that taught and worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem considered only the five books of Moses to be the word of God. The Pharisees and the rabbis that taught and worshipped in the synagogues considered the five books of Moses, the writings of the prophets, and the Psalms, and some of the historical writings as scriptures. And they were grouped in sets of 22 or 24 books. The Jews outside of Jerusalem used a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And then the Essene Jews had 24 books and other writings that they used in their community. There was no universally used Jewish Old Testament at the time of Jesus. Jesus taught his apostles between 30 and 33 AD. The New Testament writers weren't following Jesus around and writing down everything he taught. We only have New Testament writings from six of Jesus' apostles. Mark wrote down what he learned from Peter, who learned it from Jesus. And Luke wrote down the eyewitness reports of Jesus that he gathered from others. We recognize that the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to record what God wanted us to know, just like he did for the Old Testament authors. The earliest New Testament writings were, weren't written until 15 or more years after Jesus' ascension into heaven. The oral tradition was well before the written tradition that we call the New Testament. Some people think that only the written tradition is reliable and that we should only go by the writings of the New Testament or the Old Testament because the oral tradition is considered to not be reliable. However, for the first 15 years of Christianity, all they had was the oral tradition. New Testament scholars estimate these days for the different writings of the New Testament. Around 45 AD, James writes his letter known as the Book of James. Around 49 to 51 AD, Paul writes his writes 1st and 2nd Thessalonians during his 18-month stay in Corinth, coinciding with his second missionary journey. Around 53 to 55 AD, Matthew writes his gospel in Hebrew or Aramaic, his gospel in Greek, containing Peter's accounts of what Jesus taught. Matthew publishes his gospel in Greek using Mark's Greek as a foundation. And Paul writes 1 Corinthians from Ephesus in Acts, and we find out about this in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. And it's important to note here that uh, Matthew's Hebrew or Aramaic version of the Old Testament, of, of the New Testament, is older than Mark's Greek version, Greek gospel of that he learned from Peter. But then Matthew uses Mark's Greek gospel to translate his Aramaic gospel into Greek, since Mark had already set a pattern for which Greek words to use in the translation. Matthew just kind of used Mark's gospel as a guide. 
around 57 AD, Paul winters in Corinth, and he writes his letter to the Romans. And if you want to know how we know this, you can check Acts chapter 20, verse 3. Between 40 and 70 AD, the Didache, or the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, is written to provide guidance to the early church. If you've never writ read the Didache, it'll give you great insight into what was going on in the early church. And you will find out that it's very Catholic. Between 60 and 70 AD, the letter of the Hebrews is written. Most likely it was originally written by Paul and later polished up by Luke. Around 60 AD, Luke writes his gospel based on the accounts of Jesus he gathered from others. Again, the oral tradition came before the written gospel, and Luke traveled with Paul, and he gathered the accounts of Jesus and early Christianity from other people, and then wrote them down, and then later assembled it into his Bible and the book of Acts. Um, around 60 AD, Jude writes his letter known as the book of Jude. Around 62 AD, Paul arrives in Rome and remains under house arrest. He writes to the Ephesians, and you can check for versions, verses of that in the book of the letter to the Colossians, and he writes his letter to the Philippians, as we can learn from First Philippians chapter 1, verses 7, 13, and 17, and chapter 4, verses 22. And Paul also writes at this time his letter to the Colossians. Around 62 to 64 AD, Paul is released and extends his mission, probably reaching as far north as Spain, 1 Timothy, from Macedonia. And if you check 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, you'll get information that tells us he was writing from Macedonia. And Paul also writes his letter to Titus from Nicopolis, which is a Greek city. And if you check Titus chapter 3, verse 12, you'll see the information on why they come to that conclusion. And Paul is later arrested in Rome, as shown in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Around 65 AD, Luke writes the book of Acts. Again, it is based on the accounts of others that he gathered and put into an orderly writing. Let's see. Between 64 and 67 AD, Peter writes his second letter that we now call Second Peter. And Jude writes his letter. Paul writes Second Timothy, and you can find out about that by reading Second Timothy chapter four, verses six and eight. And Paul, yeah, Paul and Peter are martyred in Rome at this time. Also, sorry, get a little confused there. Okay, so around 74 AD, the Epistle of Barnabas was written and read in many churches. Around 80 AD, the Shepherd of Hermas was written, and this is also read in many of the early Christian churches. And by read in those churches, I mean like it's read during the liturgy of the Word, when we would normally be reading the scriptures in those churches at that time. Um, between 85 and 95 A.D., John writes his three epistles that we now call 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And he most likely writes these from 
his time in when he lived in the city of Ephesus. Between 89 and 95 AD, John writes his gospel. Again, probably when he was in Ephesus. In 90 AD, the letter First Clement to the Corinthians is written by Pope St. Clement, Bishop of Rome. This letter was also read in many early Christian churches during the Liturgy of the Word. The church in Corinth also had read it during their Mass at a yearly festival for hundreds of years afterward to celebrate the saving of their church through the guidance of the church in Rome. In 90 AD, John writes the book of Revelation that gives an account of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And it also tells us about letters to different churches with assorted problems that still exist today. The book of Revelation also tells us about heaven and Jesus' second coming. And that's another important thing that we should keep in mind, that the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, they applied to those churches at that time, but they still apply to our churches today. So there's great information in those letters, and we need to read them and keep them in mind. So by the end of the first century, all the books that would make up the New Testament are written. But other books were also read during the Liturgy of the Word, during Mass, that didn't end up in the New Testament canon of Scripture. These include the Didache, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Shepherd of Hermas, and First Clement to the Corinthians. The Bible also refers to an earlier letter to the Corinthians before 1 Corinthians. And you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, as well as the letter to the Laodiceans referred to in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. There's no record of these letters being read in the early Christian churches, and these letters of Paul are not in the New Testament canon. So to say that everything that an apostle wrote automatically became scripture is a false idea because we have these two letters by Paul that didn't end up in the New Testament. And the fact that the that we only have writings in the New Testament from six different authors um, tells us other six apostles also surely wrote down some things, or their secretaries did, but for some reason those letters didn't get shared and didn't end up in the New Testament. So there's something more to a writing by an apostle that makes it part of the canon of Scripture, and we'll get to that. In 115 AD, Polycarp, who's a bishop of Smyrna and the successor of the Apostle John, he writes a cover letter for the letters of Ignatius of Antioch that he was forwarding to the church in Philippi. He quotes from most of the books of the New Testament, so we know that they were available then. And this is another interesting point, that Polycarp, has a copy of the letters, the seven letters that Ignatius of Antioch wrote on his way to being martyred in Rome. And he makes copies of them and forwards them on to the church in Philippi, which is the kind of thing that you might do with anything else that is considered scripture. But the early church, you know, they weren't worried so much about you know, since Christianity was still illegal, they were just trying to get along and keep the church going. And there's great wisdom in the seven letters of Ignatius of Antioch. And I think the church in Philippi wanted a copy of them. So Ignatius' letters, he wrote them out 
by hand. You know, he couldn't just take them down to the <laughs> to the copy room in his office and make copies of them. He had to copy them all by hand. And this is at a time when Christianity is illegal. So it's not like he could go to the li local library and set up a, a table to copy them. He had to copy them someplace secretly. In 136 AD, after the Bar Kokhba, Kokhba revolt, the Jews declared that the Hebrew Masoretic textbooks, 24 books, book canon was established as their scripture. The current Protestant Old Testament of 39 books is a reorganization of the 24 books of the Masoretic text. So, as I mentioned earlier, and it's worth bringing up again, the 39 books of the Protestant Old Testament comes from the Jews that rejected Jesus, while our 46-book Old Testament in the Catholic Church and the 48-book Old Testament in the Orthodox Church comes from the Jews that became Christians that were using the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Jewish Old Testament. In 144 AD, a heretic named Marcion developed a list of books that he claimed were the teachings of Jesus. He used a shortened version of Luke's Gospel and the Ten Letters of Paul as his canon. Marcion completely rejected the Old Testament writings that the Jews used. Marcion thought that there was a different God in the Old Testament who was mean, and he thought that Jesus and he thought that Jesus preached only about good, the good God in the New Testament. This is why he edited all the Jewish references from the books that he had in his version of scripture. Marcion's canon of scripture was so different from the writings being used by other Christian leaders at this time that no Christian theologian accepted his canon of scripture. But this does give us some insight into the fact that there is no established New Testament canon, and even the Old Testament canon of scripture is still kind of up in the air, not fully established, at least for Christians. The oldest list of New Testament books is on an incomplete scrap of parchment known as the Muratorian Fragment, and it was written around 170 AD. It lists the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and the book of Acts, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Roman, Romans, I mean, uh, Philemon, Titus, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Jude, 1st and 2nd John, Wisdom of Solomon, Revelation of John, and Revelation of Peter as Scripture. Yet, this list on the Muratorian fragment does not include 1st and 2nd Peter, James, and 3rd John, and the book of Hebrews. So again, this shows us that at 170 AD, there's still no established New Testament canon. Around 180 AD, Irenaeus writes in his work, his five-book work, called Against Heresies, that there are only four Gospels, and he lists the authors as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you open up your Bible to the book of well, to the Gospel of Mark, you'll find that um, the publisher is the one that decided that this book was written by Mark, 
Mark doesn't claim from his gospel that he is writing Mark's gospel. So we don't really know for sure if um, that Mark is really the author of Mark. It's only through the oral tradition that we understand that. In 200 AD, Origen considered the four Gospels, the Book of Acts, the 14 letters of Paul, 1 Peter, Jude, 1 John, and the Book of Revelation as Scripture. Origen expressed reservations concerning the books of James, 2 Peter, 2nd and 3rd John. Origen also considered the, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of the Hebrews, the Book of Acts of Paul, First, First Clement, the Epistle of Barnabas, Didache, and Shepherd of Hermas as divinely inspired. Origen didn't think that James, Second Peter, Second and Third John were inspired by God. But he did consider the Acts of Paul, First Clement, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Didache, and the Shepherd of Hermas as divinely inspired. Yet we don't have those in our New Testament canon today. So here we are, 170 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, and the New Testament canon has still not been established. There's a bunch of writings around. Generally, the four Gospels are all accepted. But there were other Gospels around at that time, like the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Peter. So around 315 AD, Eusebius of Caesarea wrote about the canon of Scripture based on what he learned from Origen's library. And the libraries of in Alexandria and Jerusalem. He wrote that the universally recognized books are the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Book of Acts. He also wrote that the 14 epistles of Paul, including Hebrews, the first epistle by Peter, the first epistle by John, and Revelation, or the Apocalypse of John, as scripture. Eusebius writes that these writings are accepted by some churches, but not all churches. The second epistle of Peter and second and third epistles of John, James, and Jude were still in question at this time. He writes that the church in Rome rejects the book of Hebrews and many other churches read the Shepherd of Hermas during the Divine Liturgy. So Eusebius writes that these books are non-apostolic writings, but useful for teaching. And these books are the Acts of Paul, the Shepherd of Hermas, the Apocalypse of Peter, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Didache, or Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, the Gospel of Hebrews, and the Apocalypse of John. So the early Christian churches, they had their core texts that everybody accepted, and then they had other texts that some churches used and some churches didn't use. Okay, so Eusebius writes that these writings are heretical. So these writings are also around at the same time, but they're not read in the, in the Christian churches of that time. And they are the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Matthias, the Acts of Andrew, the Acts of John, 
This shows that the New Testament list we have today was not finalized at this time. Around 325 AD, the Codex Vaticanus, the Codex Sinaiticus, and the Codex Alexandria were established. They are likely from the 50 copies of scripture in Greek that was commissioned by the Roman Emperor Constantine. Between these three ancient books, we have the fully accepted 66-book Old Testament, the books of the Deuterocanon, also known as the Apocrypha by Protestants, including Third Esdras, Wisdom, the Prologue to Ecclesiasticus, and the book Ecclesiasticus, and we have the longer version of Esther, and let's see. we also have the book of Judith and the book of Tobit and Baruch and Epistle of Barnabas and Daniel with additions and second and third John, Jude, James, and the Epistle to the Hebrews and the 13 Pauline Epistles and the book of Revelation. So, we know that the, the three oldest Bibles that we have that were written after the Council of Jerusalem, or the Council of <laughs> Nicaea from around 325 AD, have a, canon of, have a list of books that are very similar to what we have today in the Catholic Church. Now, an early church father named Cyril of Jerusalem wrote this before he died in 386 AD. And Cyril of Jerusalem was, of course, a bishop in Jerusalem from 350 AD to 351 AD. Therefore, he is known as Cyril of Jerusalem. He was noted for his catechetical lectures in which he gave us his list of Old Testament books around 345 AD. And there's an English translation of the Nicene and post-Nicene fathers. Um, and this reference comes from series two, volume seven. And of the Old Testament, this is a quote from it, and of the Old Testament has 22 books but it is not the same as the present-day Jewish scripture. First, the division of the books yeah. First, the division of the books resembles the Septuagint, the law, the five books of Moses, Joshua, Judges, combined with Ruth, historical books, the five books um, let's see. Yeah, Joshua Judges combined with Ruth, and the, these are the historical books. The group of five books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, and the books of the prophets, which is another five books. Second, he combined the Deuterocanonical Baruch and the Epistle of Jeremiah with Jeremiah and Lamentations. However, Cyril did not limit his canon in those 22 books because in his words, in other words, he still quotes from Wisdom, Sirach, Baruch, and the Song of the Three Young Men, Susanna and Bell and the Dragon. I'm sorry. Second, he combined the Deuterocanonical books and the Epistle of Barnabas with Jeremiah and Lamentations. However, Cyril did not limit his canon to those 22 books because, in his other words, he still quotes from Wisdom, Sirach, Baruch, Song of the Three Men, and Susanna, 
and Balan the Dragon. And there's an English translation of uh, St. Cyril's writings in the Nicene and Post-Nicene Fathers, Series 2, Volume 7. It's well worth reading if you're interested in where the canon of Scripture came from. In 360 AD, the council, the local council in the city of Laodicea, listed a canon of Scripture that had 26 of the 27 books of the New Testament. The one book that was missing is the book of Revelation. In 367 AD, the Bishop Athanasius of Alexandria listed the 27 books of the New Testament in his church calendar letter sent out to the churches in his bishopric. So it's not until 367 AD that we have a list that matches our 27 book of, of the books of the New Testament established by Bishop Athanasius in Alexandria. These books existed from the beginning of Christianity, but the canon of scripture that we have today for the New Testament is not established until 367 AD. And it's also important to note that Bishop Athanasius of Alexandria, the Old Testament canon of scripture that he refers to is approximately like the 66 book of the books of the Jewish and Protestant Old Testament. However, he still quotes from seven deuterocanonical books that we have in the Catholic Old Testament. In 382 AD, Pope Damasus at the Council of Rome listed the 27 books of the New Testament and 46 books of the Old Testament as the canon of scripture for use in churches. In 383 AD, Pope Damasus commissions St. Jerome to make a Latin translation of the New and Old Testament scriptures. Jerome used the Hebrew Masoretic text for his Old Testament translation and Greek writings for the New Testament translation. The Hebrew text didn't include the Old Testament books that are included in the Greek Septuagint because the Jews had the Deuterocanonical books. Jerome made a Latin translation of these books after they were confirmed by the councils of Hippo and Carthage. So we see here that the current Catholic Old Testament and New Testament is not translated into Latin until 383 A.D. St. Jerome. There is Old Latin translations of the New Testament writings, but Jerome wrote uh, in vulgar Latin, which is like everyday Latin, and that's why Jerome's translation is called the Latin Vulgate. In 393 AD, St. Augustine guided the Council of Hippo in North Africa, which established the same list of 46 Old Testament books and the 27 New Testament books. In 397 AD, the Council of Carthage, again under Augustine, came up with the same list and sent it to Rome for approval after another council in 419 AD. So for those that don't know, uh, Hippo and Carthage are both in North Africa, and Augustine was a bishop of great influence in that area. And it's important to note that after they established a list of their canon of scripture of Old and New Testament books, they sent that list to the church in Rome for approval because they knew where the authority of the, the authoritative center of the church was.
In 405 AD, Pope Innocent I listed the 27 books of the New Testament and the 46 books of the Old Testament in his church calendar letter sent to the Bishop of Lyon in France. In 434 AD, Vincent of Lorenz writes, Since the canon of Scripture is complete and sufficient for everything, what need is there to join with it the authority of the church's interpretation? And the reason that we need the church's interpretation is because all do not accept it in one way and the same sense. One understands its words in one way, and another person understands its words in another way, thus producing various interpretations. Therefore, the right understanding should be in accordance with the standard ecclesial, ecclesiastical interpretation. The Catholic Church doesn't say that doesn't have an official teaching on every verse in the Bible. However, the Catholic Church has its dogmas that guide us in our understanding of what the Bible says. And if you come up with an understanding of a verse in Scripture that conflicts with the dogmas of the Catholic Church, you know that your interpretation is wrong. Because Jesus promised to be with his church not your interpretation of the Bible. In 787 AD, the Council of the Second Council of Nicaea accepted the decrees of the previous smaller councils. This included the canon of scripture determined in 397 by the Council of Carthage. In 1441, the Council of Florence approved the list of 46 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books as accepted by the councils of Rome, Hippo, and Carthage. So we see that after, um, you know, as early as 382 AD, the canon of scripture established in Rome is the canon of scripture 400 and even 1,100 years later. In 1441, the Council of Florence approved the list of 46 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books accepted by the Council of Rome, Hippo, and Carthage. I think I read that error already. But it's important to understand this, that the later councils just approved what was already established. They weren't establishing a new canon of scripture. They're just affirming which was all that which was already established by the Council of Rome. In 1550, the list of 46 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books were made official at the Council of Trent. Some Protestants like to say that we didn't have the seven deuterocanonical deutero canonical books in our Old Testament until the Council of Trent, but they were actually in there from as, at least as early as 392 AD. So this is why there's a difference today between Catholic and Protestant Bibles. It wasn't until the end of the 300s that the list of Old and New Testament scriptures were established. The Didache, the Shepherd of Hermas, First Clement to the Corinthians, the Epistle of Barnabas were read in many early churches. The Book of Revelation, Second Peter, Second and Third John, Jude, James, and the Book of Hebrews were considered questionable by many. The Catholic Church that teaches that baptism forgives sins, that Jesus is present in the Eucharist, that the Bishop of Rome is the head of the church, is a church that decided which books are the divinely inspired words of God. The early church synods of Rome, Hippo, and Carthage are the first church councils that established the list of divinely inspired books. This list was later confirmed by the ecumenical councils of Second Nicaea and Florence. 
the Catholic Church hand copied the Bible for over 1,100 years before movable type was developed by Gutenberg. For the first 1,500 years of Christianity, the Bible was interpreted based on the tradition handed on by the apostles. This tradition can be understood through the writings of the early church fathers, who had an overall majority understanding of their interpretation. The Bible contains divinely inspired writings, but they need to be interpreted. The thousands of different Protestant churches have different interpretations of these divinely inspired writings, and that's why there's different Protestant churches. The Catholic Church has the oldest and original understanding of these writings. The Pope is the successor of the minister that Jesus left behind to feed his sheep and tend his flock. This same Jesus promised to be with his church until the end of the age. As shown in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus didn't leave us a book as an authority. He left us a church to teach what is in that book. He didn't, or he taught, Jesus taught the, yeah, Jesus didn't leave a book as an authority. He left us a church to teach us what he taught the apostles. Catholics put their trust in the church that Jesus founded, not a man's interpretation of the Bible that the Catholic Church assembled. No Protestant church has a record of how they decided which books make up the New Testament. Even Martin Luther said, what would we know of the scriptures if it were for the papists, which was his slang term for the Catholic Church. Protestants today would not have a Bible, or at least not a New Testament, if not for the Catholic Church which hand-copied and preserved the Bible for them. So, thanks for tuning in today. If you'd like a copy of today's show notes or have a follow-up question, you can send me an email at catholicken.com or look me up on Facebook. And that's catholicken with a K and at the, and the number four, persons.com. If you would like to have me come and speak at your parish on this or many other topics, you can send me an email at catholic at kenlitchfield61 at gmail.com or look me up on Facebook. May God bless and guide your efforts to bring the truth of the Catholic faith to the whole world. Thanks for tuning in. Bye now. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now, and the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products, and we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.